Good morning. I thought uh, God's timing is so beautiful that uh, we're talking about family life missions and, uh, you know, ministering to families and the next generation, family preservation. Uh, Friday, our own uh, Connor Shoup, his wife Ruth, had Odie. So, uh, little birth there, and uh, here we are talking about the family in the book of Ephesians. So, uh, great, great timing on all of that. Um, One of the greatest celebrations of my life took place Tuesday morning, March 23rd, 1993. After months of anticipation, I stood in a room And I heard some of the most glorious words I had heard in my entire life. It's a boy! (laughs) And uh, I remember, you know, I just reacted, but uh, we had friends that were out in the hallway and they just heard this, yes! (laughs) That was me. And I'll just say this, uh, I so appreciated Chris's testimony to his life. And I can tell you, I come from a broken home, and I know a whole lot about that. And I don't know that I ever expected to have a moment like I had in that delivery room, and then several other times after. So that that really was a gift far sweeter than I ever, ever imagined or expected would be true in my life. But if you are a parent, you know that right after that sweet moment of exaltation, this avalanche landed right on top of me of responsibility because I went home with this little baby and now I'm supposed to take care of it and I have next to no clue what to do. I'm assuming we got to feed it. (laughs) We got to give it a place to sleep, put some clothes on it, change a diaper, right? You know, that was about the extent of our preparation. We had a lot to learn. I, I remember Kimberly telling me I would entertain her in the middle of the night, fully asleep, but thrashing around in our bed dreaming, having a nightmare that our child was smothering. So I'm tearing through the blankets asleep. And honestly, the reality was I was smothering. I was terrified of being a dad because I didn't know what to do. Here's our family when we moved to uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee in 2000. Four kids in tow. Grant was two and Blake was seven at that point. God has been very kind and very gracious and has surrounded us with people who have poured into us. And I can't imagine making it without them. But nothing has helped us more. Nothing has helped me more than passages like we're looking at this morning. And so I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. And uh, if you ever find a parent with kids who are in their right mind, uh, 
you will know that they are the most grateful people on earth. They're not beating their chest. They're as surprised as anybody. <laughs> you know, it's the way it works. Let me, uh, let me read verses one through three. We're going to cover four verses in chapter six, but we'll start with this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You may have thought, I, I thought this was a parenting message, and it is, but isn't it interesting that this parenting passage begins with a message to who? Children. And it isn't interesting to think about the early church, and Paul has sent a letter to Ephesus, and he expects that there are children in the room, and he has a message for them. And I, I should go ahead and just add, when we see the word children, let's think students. Let's think elementary and middle and high school and college, less so college, but this is the next generation. And if you're in that category here this morning, listen up. There's a message here for you from God Almighty. He has some important things to say. Now, what do we know about children from our Bibles? Well, first, Jesus loves the little children, doesn't he, from the old song. Matthew 19, uh, families, parents were bringing their kids to Jesus. And it's funny, uh, you know, disciples, they probably just didn't know what they were doing. But they're, they're rebuking. It literally says they rebuked the people. Get those kids out of here. They're too noisy, too disruptive. There's too much important going on. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then went away and blessed them. So we know Jesus loves children. We know from Psalm 139 that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That means that they are full of unspeakable potential for good and for evil. Solomon writes in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Let's think about that picture of an arrow, an ancient arrow, which would have been handcrafted by someone somewhere. And then that arrow, think about a warrior, that's all they have as a weapon, so they cherish those arrows, right? They aim those arrows, to their target. And then the hardest thing of all, if we're thinking about parents, they release those arrows to the target. They let them fly. And they expect those arrows to have impact. <coughs> Lastly, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly or foolishness 
is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, we have to keep all of this in mind. We can't be selective. It can't be all of this and none of that. So children are fearfully and wonderfully made, and they are naturally fools. That's the truth. So we we take all of that in mind when we listen to what Paul has to say to us, to our children and to us as parents. And in the context of where we've been going back to verse 22 in Ephesians 5, we, we see this beautiful picture of a household. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Children, obey your parents. That's God's assignment for you. That's what God wants from and for children. Obedience. And that assignment addresses their heart. All of the potential that it has and all of the dangers that are associated with their natural foolishness. There's a parallel passage in the book of Colossians, Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So this is clear for children, but then again, remember me, I'm the dad who has no clue what he's doing, and I at least know this is what I ought to expect from my children because it's what God expects from children. So we can start there. What exactly is involved in this obedience? Well, first of all, we'll, we'll do the, the what and to whom and uh, the how and the why. First of all, what? Obey. And that literally means exactly what it sounds like. It means to comply. It means to submit. It means to follow. It means that you're not out in front. It's so interesting in our culture, the place that children have come to have in the family. You would think that they are literally the center of the universe. And they're not. Christ is the center of a family, a Christian family. A marriage is the highest priority because of what we talked about the last couple of weeks. So these are some of the best pieces of advice I got. As a parent, someone said, your child is a welcomed member of your family. That means whatever they understand about family and how it works and why it exists, they learn it from you. So you're not looking to your children to help you understand how a family works, what your priorities ought to be. You're giving that to them. And if you don't know what that is, start today. This, these are some great instructions from God. They're to obey their parents. That's to whom? Dad and mom know best. They have the wisdom and experience that a child needs. See, children, like all of us, have a gazillion thoughts. 
but they, they have no life to back it up. They're just thoughts. They're just getting started. They're actually refining their thinking. They're understanding how to think to begin with. And as moms and dads, we get the opportunity to shape that. The how of their obedience is in the Lord. And that is as a response to and an outworking of their relationship with God in Christ. Now, what if they're an unbeliever? Well, hopefully they're in a home where the gospel is very visible, clear, understandable, accessible, and they're learning about what God says is true about them. As they come to a place of faith, then their obedience is meant to be just an overflow When we talk about the spirit-filled life, even that's been the context of this whole family passage is Paul is saying you're to be led by the spirit and here's what that looks like in your home. So for a child, the spirit-filled life looks like obedience. Very simple, very challenging. I would say impossible apart from the enablement of God. Another thing that was mentioned to us early on was the idea of first-time obedience. And these days, I think they call it FTO. So younger parents are probably like, oh, yeah, FTO. First-time obedience. I was always tempted to count. I was always tempted to give a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. And you know, that works great until your child is running toward the street and you say, stop. See, there's no time to count. A second chance. I I lived this. My son rode his bike right out into a street in front of a truck after being told countless times, don't ever do that. I was terrified in that moment. And I knew. First-time obedience is a thing. Do you think Jesus ever thought when he was a child that he could sort of slough off what God expected of him once or twice or three or four times? No, like his whole life was around, hey, if, if, if mom and dad say it, then I do it. I came across a great little kind of framework. It's that when you ask your kids to do something, the first response is, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then right away, all the way, the happy way. In our household, we said, you do it the first time with a happy heart. Do with that what you'd like. But lastly, the why behind doing this is this is right. And in some ways, guys, it's really that simple. It's just the right thing to do for a child. Now, there's a whole lifetime of learning, right? And we're teaching our kids how to learn. But early on, it's so important for them to learn where they get truth from. 
And then they follow, they walk that out. And, and I hope it's obvious that as children learn to respond to their parents that way, guess who they learn to respond to? Their father in heaven. And when he says, go here, go there, do this, don't do that, it's yes, sir. Right away, all the way, the happy way. Children are not only told to obey, they're told to honor their father and mother. This points back to uh, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So this was a foundational piece for all of Israel. It was to be a distinctive of their nation as a chosen people of God. In Exodus 20, 12, it said, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God that your Lord that the Lord your God is giving you. So what is honor? A, a reverential, respectful attitude of the heart that fuels actions of esteem. So this is where we do kind of run into that idea of obedience all by itself or obedience without an attitude like this is the same as disobedience. Like Jesus would say, what, what's going on in your heart is as important as what you're doing on the exterior. Because you can fake it. You can be a fraud. Your heart can be in a rough place. This honor is, the idea of it is, is one of my greatest regrets in all of life. Um, I, as I said, I grew up in a broken home. And I, I was a rotten kid. I treated my mom horribly. I was as disrespectful and rebellious as I could be. But you know what everybody would have said around us? My teachers, uh, people at church, all that. What a good young man. What a fine young man. I began really realizing in college that I had totally failed to show my mom honor. I don't know if I even knew about this verse. I had no grasp of what it must have been like for my mom to raise two tough kids all by herself as a full-time nurse with no support, just all by herself. Now, she had some folks that came alongside. I was often disappointed and angry, and I expressed it freely, and she just took it. Obviously, that was hurtful to her, and it ate me alive on the inside because I was an angry young guy. By God's grace, my perspective began to change in college when I came to passages like we're studying today. And then, when, imagine when I started having kids, how my perspective changed and grew. I'm like, oh, so this is what it's like. <laughs> I had a fun conversation with one of my sons, and this was actually before he was even married, but he was uh, working with high school kids, and he came home one day at the end of the day, and he's like, Dad, 
<laughs> Man, how in the world did you do it? <laughs> I'm trying to tell these high school kids, you know, to do this and don't do that. And they don't listen. They just do whatever they want to. Like, there you go. <laughs> Sock that away, son. <laughs> Here's what I got to do for my mom. I read a book by Dennis Rennie called The Tribute. I highly recommend it. And when my mom retired in 2002, my sister and I got to read her a tribute. I wish I could read it for you today, but it'd take too much time. But it was so healing for me and for my mom. And then in 2007, I remember... Uh, I remember sitting down with my mom and asking her to forgive me. You might wonder why it took so long. I don't know why. But she did. And then the thought occurred to me. I know she knows she's not a perfect mom. And I wonder if she wonders if I've forgiven her. And so I just told her. I said, Mom, I just want you to know I settled this a long time ago. That you are forgiven. There, the slate is as clean as it could be. And it was just, you could just see it wash over her. And I know if you're a parent, you feel that. You wonder about that. Can I be forgiven? Because I know I haven't done it all right. And you hope that you can be. So that was a sweet day. And then... One of the saddest and most joyful days of my life was her funeral just a couple years ago because I got to read that tribute again. And I got to testify to the good work that God did in our broken home. Honor and forgiveness are close cousins. Both of them are undeserved. But they bless the giver as much as the recipient. This call to obey and to honor is attached to a promise. It's actually in two parts. And this echoes Exodus 20, but it's in a new covenant context. It isn't about Israel. It isn't about a literal land. But it is about God's faithfulness to his people. So the promise is, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So what does that mean? I think, first of all, it means for a child, doing as God says, and he says to obey your parents, positions a child to experience the favor of God in everyday life. Obedience and honor keeps us from introducing a disruption to our fellowship with God. So I, I, God loves us all the time, right? And he is always ready to lavish love and favor on us. But when we disobey, what we do is we we introduce a disruption, so we're not in the position to receive all that God would have us receive. And then he usually has to correct us in that case. 
Secondly, that you may live long in the land. This is to align ourselves with the foundational purposes of God for humanity. Go back to Genesis 1. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the living, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's intent was for people to co-create and co-reign with him in the land that he made. And so the idea of living long in the land is to live as God intended in great relationship, intimate relationship with him, co-creating and co-ruling. I thought of it this way. David expresses belief in a promise like this when he prays in Psalm 23. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise that goes with obedience and honor for a child. Now, if a child's, if a child's assignment addresses the heart, then so should their greatest influence, their parents. Their parents should address their heart and Uh, That brings me to this title of my favorite parenting book, and that is Shepherding a Child's Hearts. That's just, it's the most beautiful summary of Christian parenting that there could be. Ted Tripp wrote that book, and he says this, the purpose for your authority in the lives of your children is not to hold them under your power, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under the authority of God. So with that in mind, Paul says to fathers, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The same passage again in Colossians 3, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, we might wonder why only fathers are addressed here, and we we probably shouldn't make too much or too little of it, given the larger context of this household code that, that they've been given. Remember that the father is the head of the household. And so it just makes sense that Paul is addressing the head of the home, not to the neglect of mom, but he's just following the pattern that God has set, so it's assumed that what applies to dad applies to mom as well, okay? So he says, do not provoke, but bring them up. That's the two big ideas there. So what does provoking a child to anger look like? And I might say this, just think back, moms and dads, Potential parents in the room, what made you angry when you were a kid? And I don't mean just not getting what you wanted. What were some things that made you angry? Here's four words for you to consider. Neglect, inflate, critique, and control. 
Neglect is absence or invisibility. It is relational detachment or indifference. To inflate is to give false, exaggerated affirmations intended to shield from negativity. To critique is a persistent criticism intended to rid any and all shortcomings. That was one of my favorites. And then control, comprehensive micromanagement so as to eliminate the possibility of failure. These are tactics that parents embrace when they don't know what to do. But they are killers. They go along with the idea for Christian parents, I know what the Bible says, but... And then you do what you do. These approaches to parenting produce anger, discouragement, and resentment. And certainly ought to be avoided. So don't provoke. And then the contrast, bring them up, which is to nourish, nurture, cultivate, develop. Bring them up in two things, the discipline of the Lord and instruction of the Lord. And these words are very similar, but they're complementary. He obviously chose to use two words, not one. So the first word, discipline, refers to an experiential kind of parenting. For me, I, I think it's, I just go, that's what coaches do. Right? They're out there on the field. They're doing skills and drills and scrimmaging, conditioning. There's consequences and rewards. That's what a coach is doing with his players. Hebrews 12 says, and this is the same word that's used in Ephesians, discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I have found, I get it, that most parents don't ever want discipline to be painful. And yet, discipline that isn't painful doesn't produce the fruitful, peaceful fruit of righteousness. It doesn't do any training. I just write these down and I, I'll just let you kind of take this for consideration. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen: folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And I hear parents going, I know what the Bible says, but Solomon would say, discipline, it's painful, but it trains your child to run, to flee from those things that won't just be painful, it will destroy their life. Which do you want? Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Do not withhold 
discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's what's at stake. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself, man, that was me, brings shame to his mother. In addition to discipline is instruction. This is more of a conceptual. The first was experiential. This is terminology and philosophy and implications and exhortations and warnings. So it's, it's more verbal than anything. You know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you don't, look it up. The major content you're delivering is God's word. Not your opinions. Not your deep thoughts. Not your own philosophy. Your job is to deliver the truth of God's word and then let it and the Holy Spirit do its work in your child's life. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise. It's not a guarantee. But let's think about it the other way. What if you don't train up your child in the way they should go? What are they going to do? I guess just figure it out. And what are the probabilities that they land in a great life-giving place if foolishness is bound up in their heart? Discipline of the Lord, instruction of the Lord. David's response to that from his shepherd, and again in Psalm 23, was this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They provide security and direction. I want to encourage you to resist the threat of fragility. Our culture is intoxicated with safety. I read a great book recently called The Coddling of the American Mind. And one of the ideas in there is that children are not only not fragile, they are anti-fragile. And you can understand this if you think about our bones and our muscles. What happens if they have no strain or resistance? They atrophy, strain, pressure. That's required for those parts of our body to be everything that they were intended to be, to thrive. Our children, they're not just resilient. They are anti-fragile. They need the strain of life in order to thrive. So if we protect them from anything and everything that might Make them uncomfortable. Guess what happens? They become fragile. Jonathan Haidt in that book says, a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep so far that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger, this, that's happening all the time, 
is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in daily life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. So how do you do this? I love the picture. Here's what our father did, okay? He sent his son. And here's what's said of the son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Presence, parents, think about presence. And in him, we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father. Here's the key, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. I found a great kind of picture of this. A guy named Pastor Dan Nold, super simple, but it's a continuum of high truth and low truth, low grace and high grace. All of us land naturally somewhere on this matrix. It's important for you to find out where you land. But if we walk, walk through this, high truth, which is like beating the truth, baby. But low grace produces indulgence. It's an excessive liberty. Low grace and low truth leads to indifference. Doesn't matter what I do. I can do anything in the world. It's totally fine, which is not true. But it feels good. Low truth and high grace. Imposing. These are parental styles. Low truth, high grace. And then inspiring. High truth and high grace. We want to bring both of those. And as a parent, I can tell you... I just wanted somebody to tell me when to do whatever it was I needed to do. So is this a grace moment? Is this a truth moment? Is it more of one, less of the other, or whatever, which takes us right back to where Paul has been all along. You and I have to walk in the power of the Spirit. We have to be attentive to Him. And there will be times... When it will be like, yeah, don't bring the hammer down here. And there'll be other times when you need to. And you won't know. But you're walking by faith and you're saying, Lord, use this imperfect parent in the life of my child. And wherever I get it wrong, would you please compensate for that in ways that I may not even see? Some great resources, I'll finish with this, that are available. Uh, three of them are on Right Now Media, which we keep telling you, it's there. Full of just great, helpful resources. But The Art of Parenting, which is a parenting conference uh, by Family Life, that's uh, at Right Now Media. Parenting, the book Parenting by Paul Tripp. That's my second favorite parenting book. Phenomenal. And then uh, Ted Kimmel uh, wrote a book and has some video resources there called Grace-Based Parenting. Phenomenal stuff. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. These are some great, great 
resources to help you continue growing as a parent. And I'm like right now, I'm learning how to parent adult children and grandchildren. It's a whole new season. I'm loving it. And it's challenging. <laughs> Isn't that the deal? So prayerfully, let's take a moment. Wherever you are, children, you've got an assignment. Moms and dads, there's, there's something in here that you can take away from today. You can't change everything, but what's one thing you could potentially do differently? And maybe you're preparing for parenting. Now will be the easiest time in your life to learn. So take a moment, ask God to give you some direction, and then I'll pray for us to close. for us. Father in heaven, you have been good, you are good, you will be good for all of eternity. We thank you for the grace and truth that you have lavished on us all of our days. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to follow in whatever it is that you have shown us this day. And Lord, I pray for the next generation. Lord, would you raise up a powerful, beautiful community of Christ followers who love well in every way reach those places on the earth that have yet to hear of who you are, what you're like, and what you're doing. We thank you for your good work. We praise you this day and pray in Jesus' name.